Hello and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. In just a moment, we're going to jump into this week's message. But before we do, I want to encourage you to connect with us online. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, and you can also subscribe to our YouTube channel and this very podcast. We want to stay connected. So another great way to do that is be our guest on a Sunday. I'd love to invite you to be here. If you're local, come out. We want to meet you, get to know you, worship with you. We'd really, really enjoy your company. And without further ado, let's jump into this week's message. ready for Christmas? I, um, anybody else get their tree? I got a tree. Anybody else get a tree? I got a couple people. Did anybody use a chainsaw to cut their tree, Terry? That, it's cheating. It's cheating. If you don't use an axe or a handsaw, like a bow saw, you're cheating. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I love Christmas time. I, I, I love the anticipation that Christmas builds. I, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I remember as a little kid, always just wondering what was under the tree. And I, I was the little guy that would, um, that would attempt to open packages, you know, like get your fingernail under there, and that, you grow your fingernails out in December, so you can get up under there and, and try to open up the packages to see what it was. I, I, I would always get caught because I just didn't do a good job. They'd always be ripped, and mom and dad would know. Um, it, it's just how it was. Uh, my son, um, my, my kids, they, they've kind of tuned in to how Christmas works. And so we, we've discovered they've already, on Amazon, they already have like wish lists on Amazon. Like they're going to get like $7,000 worth of stuff. Not, not going to happen. <laughs> not going to happen. Uh, my, my youngest, uh, I took him out hunting and he said, uh, he said, Dad, seriously though, seriously though, I mean, you can tell me. Did you get any of us kids an Xbox? Just, you can tell me. Did you get the family an Xbox? I was like, dude, you guys are on video games too much anyway. It's never going to happen. Like, it's not going to happen. You're such a mean dad. No, go play outside. <laughs> um, we, we, uh, it was fun. That hunting trip with them was a lot of fun. We, uh, we, we just went for uh, like two days. And Hunting with a 10-year-old is just a little different, and it, it brings me back to when I would hunt with my dad. I remember when I was 10 and I would go hunting with my dad, we never got anything. <laughs> we would, like, wander, and my dad would be like, he'd be like, there's a deer. And <laughs> no, I didn't see the deer. I never saw the deer. Um, now I know why. Um, because every time we're sitting and waiting, every time we're trying to be sneaky, um, there's fidgeting, there's breaking branches, there's singing songs. Like, it's just... It's just too much to, to wait. It's, it's hard to sit still. It's hard to sit still, and it's really hard to wait. I, I think for a lot of us, it's hard for us to wait, not just when we're 10 years old trying to find a deer, uh, not just when we're waiting for gifts under a Christmas tree, hoping it's an Xbox, but I think it's really hard for us to wait for, you know, the... the the family members that haven't got along, the kids that, that aren't, aren't getting along, waiting for that resolution to happen. I think it's hard for us to wait to hear back on that job that we applied for, and we're just waiting, hoping that, 
that they'll respond in a positive manner. It's hard when, when you're waiting to build up enough money for a down payment on a new house as a, as a young couple. It's, it's, it's hard when, uh, when you're waiting to become pregnant, and uh, it's just a waiting game sometimes. It's, it can be hard to wait. And the beauty of the Christmas story is this, is that the Christmas story speaks to the issues of our hearts. Like every portion of the Christmas story speaks to the things we walk through and that we deal with on a daily basis. And I only have 15 minutes left. Okay, I just started. Um, maybe, maybe I'm going way too slow. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, but the Christmas story speaks to uh, those issues of, issues of the heart. And one of the primary things that the Christmas story speaks to is this idea of, of what it's like to wait and to long for something to happen that hasn't happened. And, and in the story, we're not just talking about waiting for someone to arrive, waiting for a baby to be born. We're talking about waiting to hear from God. And I think there's people in this room that you can identify with that. You've been waiting for a long time just to hear from God, just to be able to say, I, I really genuinely feel like I've felt God's leading in this area of my life. And so today, I, I, I want to take us to uh, the, a portion of the Christmas story that is, is found in Luke. And, and Luke is a, a really interesting gospel. Luke was written by uh, one of Jesus' followers, so it's not about Luke. It's written by Luke. And Luke is interesting because he's strictly chronological. So he starts at the beginning, and he ends at the end. So if you read the book of Luke, starting... In, uh, in chapter 2, we have like the birth of Jesus all the way up to chapter 23 when we have the death of Jesus. And then like it goes on, like, like Luke is very chronological. Uh, I, I would say this, if, you've, if you've never read your Bible before, start with Luke. Luke's a great one to start with. You'll get the story of Jesus' life. But beginning just before chapter 2 is chapter 1. And chapter 1 is about the things that happened before Jesus showed up, Okay. So that's where we're going to be today. Uh, but in order to tell us what happened in chapter 1, I have to give you context to what's going on in the life of the people of Israel during that time. So I'm going to give you the big story. The big story is this, is that there was a man named Abraham that God called to a new, a new location. God called him out of the place of his parents and Abraham wandered through the desert looking for a, a land who, uh, whose builder and maker was God. And God promised Abraham that he was going to, he, he was a, a fatherless man, but God said, I, I, or he was a, a, a childless man, but God said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to have, you're going to have so many kids that it would be like trying to count the stars in the sky, or it would be like trying to count the sand in the sea. He's going to give you lots of kids. And, and Abraham travels looking for this place that God had called called him to, and it never really resolves itself in Abraham's story. He actually never truly finds what he's looking for, and Abraham's, the, the, the Bible begins following Abraham's children, so Abraham and his son Isaac and Jacob and their children, and, and it takes them to this, this time where they're in a place called Egypt, and in, in Egypt they become slaves, and they're, they're slaves for, for hundreds of years, building things like uh, like 
pyramids and, and other things, just, just working for free for the Egyptian government. And God calls a young man, his name was Moses, and Moses struggles with his calling. But later on, 40 years down the road, God reminds Moses of his calling. I think it's important to know that if God's called you when you're young, the calling's not gone just because you ran from it. It's just delayed. It's just delayed. And so God calls Moses again, and Moses is used by God to bring the children of Israel back across the, the sea and back into the promised land of God. And then God begins to lead the people of God through two things, through uh, prophets and through, through uh, judges. And these judges kind of help the people stay on track, and, and it goes from there to eventually God allows them to have kings, and they have kings that rule the nation, and the story of Israel's kings is, is mostly negative. It, it, it's mostly negative. There's a few decent ones and just a couple of good ones, but for the most part, it's this spiral of distrust towards God that happens through the kings, and it becomes less and less good, and, and, and eventually the, the kings lead to the children of God being exiled into foreign nations. Foreign nations invade, they kill all the military age people, and they drag out the young into their foreign nations, trying to make them blend with the people around them. This is called the exile. And during this exile, when the people are not where God wanted them to be, God sends prophets. And the prophets speak to the people of God, even before the exile, telling them, if you would just turn back to God, there's still a chance. Like, if you would just turn back to God, there's still an opportunity. Can I tell you today that there's space in the world for prophets that say, if our family would just turn back to God, there may still be hope. And they, they go off and they, they become exiled. And the prophets speaking to the children of Israel, lasts for about 300 years, and they slowly diminish. And at the end of 300 years, they stop having prophets. Not because they didn't want them, but because they had not listened to the prophets for so long, God stopped sending prophets. And you can imagine these people that their identity was in the things of God, that after 10 years of silence with no tangible word from God, there was just an unsettled atmosphere among the people. And you, you can imagine that that 10 years then grows to, to 20 years. Still, nobody is hearing from God. And then that 20 years grows to 40 years. And still, nobody in an entire generation is hearing from God. And 80 years later, they're like, I, I know that like my grandparents had people in their life that could hear from God, but none of us have people in our life that hear from God. And that 80 years turned into 200 years of looking back saying, like generations ago, there were people that could actually hear from God. And we would love to hear from God, but we don't hear from God. And the 200 years turned into 400 years of silence from God. Silence in the middle of discouragement, frustration, exile into a foreign land. 
400 years. This is, I'm talking about real normal people living through everyday lives, just trying to get through. And they've heard that, that God is faithful to their ancestors. And they've heard that God came through for people before. But they, they knew of old promises. And, and they, they knew that things could happen. But they weren't sure of themselves because they never heard the voice of God for themselves. Not just them, but no one in their in their world had heard from God. And it just became this ancient story of people that once heard from God. It becomes this fairy tale idea that God used to speak to people, but he doesn't speak to people anymore. And sure, we would love to hear from God, but it's just not going to happen. So let's move on and just deal with the situations we're in. So my question to you today that comes from this text is, is what do you do when God is silent? What do you do when you've been praying for God to meet a need and he's silent? What do you do when you've been trusting God to heal a relationship and he's silent? What, what do you do when you've been praying that God would restore your wandering child and he's silent? What do you do when you've been praying that God would bring your alcoholic dad to his right mind and he's silent? What do you do? Well, that's exactly what Luke chapter 1 talks about. It says it like this in Luke chapter 1 verse 5. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah, and he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also the priestly line of Aaron. What's interesting, this is just for the Bible, if you're a Bible nerd or a history nerd, it's important that it says Herod, and it's important that it tells us he's from a priestly line, and his wife is also from a priestly line. And the reason for this is that in, in 63 B.C., Pompey sacked Jerusalem, and when he sacked Jerusalem, Rome took over the, the, the area of, of Judea and, and over Jerusalem, and when Rome took over, they, they actually installed a king. He was a very wealthy merchant. He, he had a monopoly on the entire spice trade in the entire world. In fact, they say he was the wealthiest man that has ever lived. The scholars would say, if you were to take the money that Herod the Great had in his day, and you were to bring it to today's money, scholars like to joke and say Bill Gates would mow his lawn. The architecture he built was, was absolutely amazing. Masada and Jerusalem, he, he did incredible things. But what, what Herod the Great did, he was this very powerful businessman who was set up as a king by Rome to rule Israel. What he did is he married a Hasmonean, or he married a, a Seleucid, not, not a Jewish woman, but a, a person that was from the area. And then he set himself up as the ruler by besieging Jerusalem. And when he conquered Jerusalem, he put in his own priests to run the temple. The reason he put in his own priests is so he could control what happened in the religious life of the people of God. Why that's important is this is one of the very few priests that can still trace his lineage back to Aaron. That's what's going on here. He can still trace himself back to Abijah, not to just being tapped on the shoulder by a Roman ruler. And it says, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the commandments or all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. These are good people. 
These are just like good people. They're, they're trying their best to live for God. Anybody else, you just feel like sometimes, I'm just trying. And that's what they're doing. They're good people. And then it says this, and they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. So, so they, they didn't have kids for two reasons. Number one, there was an infertility issue going on in the marriage. And number two, they were beyond the years of that ever being resolved on both ends. They'd been through a long season of life wishing that they could have children. They had been identified by their struggle of hoping to have children one day. In a culture that kids were everywhere. Kids were considered a quiver. And if you're supposed to be a man of God and, and you can't even have a child, there must be. There, there, there must be some secret sin in their life is, is the perception of the people around them. It was a struggle. It was a season of wanting kids. It was a season of loneliness, of frustration, and not knowing why. Can I just tell you today that just because you have unanswered prayers doesn't mean you are doing something wrong. These were good people. They just had unanswered desires and unmet expectations. So what do you do when God is silent? What do you do when God is silent? When, when faced with silence from God, we, we either walk away from God or, or we, we lean into God to prove to him that we're blameless and we don't deserve the silence. Or we lean into other relationships and lose out with God. I, I, I don't know what you might do, but I know what Zechariah does. After 400 years of silence as a group and after a lifetime of silence himself, it says this, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. He, was, he had chapel service. And as the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to burn incense. This is actually important. It says he was chosen by lot. Uh, scholars would say that during this time, there was about 8,000 priests that would minister in the temple, and only one of them would be able to go in and offer incense inside the temple during this time. So this is a, a one in 8,000 chance that he would be picked for this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that we're looking at. And he goes into the temple and it says, while, while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So he is inside the temple all by himself and he is praying on behalf of the people behind him who are also praying. His prayers are not about his own infertility history. It's not about what's gone on in his life. His prayers are for the nation of Israel. In fact, his prayers are that God would send a Messiah or, or, or the promise of a Messiah was that there would, be, there would be one that would come that would deliver them from all the occupation and all the wrongs they'd been through. And so he's praying that God would send the nation a promised deliverer. And it says, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
standing to the right of the incense altar. Can you imagine if you were praying and you open your eyes and you see an angel standing next to you? Somebody's like, I'd be good with that. Like, that'd be amazing. No, if that happened, you'd have four options. Here are your four options. If you saw an angel, you would run away or throw up. You would pee your pants, okay? You would scream like a little girl. (laughs) Or you'd get so scared you'd punch him. Anybody have that, right? (laughs) Those are your four. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and let your neighbor know what your option would be, where you would be. See, I would like to think I'm D, but I'm probably B, okay? He sees an angel, appears next to him, and the Bible tells us which of these responses he has. His is a little different. It says, Zachariah was was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Biblically, anyone who has an encounter with an angel is always scared. They're always overwhelmed. Uh, and, and they often have, have like dramatic responses. Um, I would say this, that it is, it is normal, biblically, for your walk, to, walk with God to have experiences in it that you can't explain and that scare you a little bit. If you've never been scared in your walk with God, I would tell you there's more. It says, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayers. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I think it's interesting that it says the Lord has heard your prayers and then he gives him a child. I'm just saying the Bible, the Bible says that he is old in age. In that day and age, he was probably at least 60 years old, which may not be old in our culture, but was old in his culture. He was not praying to have a child. He wasn't in the temple praying that he could have a child it, but it does say that God heard your prayers and so you're gonna get a child. What does this mean? It means that the prayers that he didn't pray as an old man, but he did pray as a young man, God did hear them. The prayers that he prayed in his 20s and 30s, hoping for a child, were heard by God. They just weren't answered until later. I'm telling somebody today, do not grow weary in doing well. Don't grow weary in praying prayers when it feels like God is silent. God hears your prayers. And that's the very nature of prayer, is that it's a, it's a call out to God, and by its very nature, there's a response from God. He hears the prayers of a young man and answers them to an old man. It says this, it says, it says you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. And he must never touch wine or alcohol, alcoholic drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, and he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. 
He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Come on, that, that would be incredible. This incredible experience he has with an angel. And Zachariah's response is very appropriate. His response is, Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure? How can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now, and my wife also is well along in years. I, I think it's hilarious because he's saying, he's saying, oh, hold on. I just, I just had a God encounter, but I need, I need to know how this is going to work. Because, because mama is old, okay? Like we had this issue when we were young. Mama now is old. Like she's, she, she's gone through menopause. Like it, it, she, she's not going to. And, and forget mama, like, daddy's not working either. And so how, if there's no worky-worky, there's not going to be. He looks, ah, he's in the word. Like, like, he's, like, he's like, I'm sorry, angel angel guy, but, but here's the deal. Like, she's gone through menopause, and they haven't invented a blue pill yet. Like, this is not going to happen. And watch what happens in your Bible. The, the next thing, the angel gets mad. The angel gets furious. Watch this. I'm going to do it in the voice I'm imagining. Imagine, like, glowing eyes, like electric lightning bolts. <laughs> the angel says, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. He's angry. I was, I was he, who, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. He's like, I'm an angel. How dare you? Shut up. And he's like, P.S. He says, it's going to happen. Like, it's going to happen. Like, it's all going to, he says, but then he goes, he says, but now, since, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. And then there's the P.S. He says, P.S., my, my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. He's like, don't backtalk me. Don't sass me. I'm Gabriel. So what happens is he gets this. His mouth is shut. He can't talk. The Bible says he goes mute. He cannot talk, and he, he leaves home. And from then on, he's basically learning ASL so that he can communicate to the people around him. It says, soon, soon, afterward, soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. I just think it's, like, he goes home, he goes home, and I'm sure his wife was like, so how did it go at work, Gabe? Like, like how did it go, go at work, Zachariah? And he's like, he's like doing hand motions. He can't talk about how amazing it was. He's telling her, like, I saw this angel with glowing eyes, like, lightning bolts, oh, he's like yelling. She's like, oh, you saw like a, a magpie? Like, what are, you, what are you doing? He's like, no, angel, like halo from, and, he's, and she's like, well, what did he tell you to do? And then he's got hand motions to describe what the angel tells him to do. <laughs> Sorry, I'm 100% 14 years old right now. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you? Can you imagine him communicating this with hand motions? (laughs) 
And for him to obey what the angel told him to do, they, they had to do something that never worked before. Like for, for them to, to do what the angel told them to do, like, like I don't, like, he had to figure out some things that weren't working to make them work. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be vulgar. I'm saying he had to circle back to some old things that just didn't work out and rework them in order to see what God wanted to do. Because the angel didn't say it's just going to happen. Like he had some action steps to take next. What, what God calls us to do often requires us to circle back to areas of our life that didn't work before. He'll often call you to go revisit that old relationship, to go revisit that old dream, to go back to that old calling that you walked away from. He'll call us back to things that didn't work before, and he's, he's asking us to step forward into them. So my question is, what do you do when God is silent? You hope, you believe, you want God to do something in your life, but he's not talking. Can I just tell you, if you... If you if you've never heard from God, he speaks primarily in two ways, through his word and through other believers. But if you're doing that, you're reading your Bible, like, like this is not like a, uh, okay, go get your Bible, go get in a small group, like go and pray, like th that'll solve your problem. I'm saying if you're doing those things, like you've been in the word of God, like you're not one of these people that's sitting back completely pushed away from the things of God saying, God never talks to me. Of course he's not talking to you. You're not in the word of God. You're not praying. Like you're, you're not around other believers. But, but if you are doing that, you're like, I want to hear from God. And so I'm going to get around other believers in a group. And I'm going to read the word of God to see if he speaks to me through it. And I'm going to pray. And you're doing those things and God doesn't speak. Then what do you do? What do you do? Then when you're praying but you're not hearing, when you're reading and not seeing, what what do you do when God is silent? Why is God silent? Well, can I just tell you that God always had a plan? In Zechariah's situation, God always had a plan, both for the nation of Israel and for Zechariah as an individual. It says this in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman and subject to the law. It says at the right time God did what he was going to do. That word right time, it, it's the idea of like a pregnant moment. Like a moment filled with anticipation of what's going to come. Like God has timing. But what do you do when you don't hear him? What do you do when you know God has timing? And I believe God has a plan and I know that God works all things together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And I don't need someone to just come by and pat me on the back and say, just trust God. I do trust God. That's why I live my life the way I live my life. That's why my faith is in him. Like I know that he can do all things. I just don't hear him and he's silent and I'm frustrated and I just need to express that sometimes. Like there comes times in the life of a believer when it is okay to just be frustrated with like, I don't know why God hasn't fixed some things in this room that I'm aware of. I, I don't know why there, there are some people in this room that even in our church and in, in the church life that, that are wanting to find love but are still single and, and, and looking. Like, I don't know. 
I don't know why there's young couples in this church that would make amazing parents and haven't experienced that yet. I don't know why your prodigal son hasn't returned to your house. And I don't understand why Jesus doesn't heal all of our sicknesses all the time. What do we do when we know God can do all of the things I just mentioned, but he's silent? What do we do when we're praying for our marriage, but it feels like God is silent? What do we do when we we felt like God called us to be an entrepreneur and we started a business and we're giving it everything we've got, but it feels like God is silent and the money's not there? What do we do? I think... I think even in those moments when I feel like God is silent, I I become very much like Zachariah. I want to know how he's going to do it anyway. You know what I mean? Like in verse, back to verse 18 when it said, (laughs) he says, how can I be sure this is even going to happen? How can I be sure that you're going to do anything in my life? Like, 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 yes, I want peace in my life, but how can I be sure that peace is going to, like, yes, I know you won't tempt me beyond, or won't let me be tempted beyond what I can bear, but how do I know? Yes, I know you'll never leave me and you'll never forsake me, but how do I know that you're never, maybe I'm the only one. But sometimes it just feels like, God, this doesn't make sense. Like, God, this situation is just harder than I thought it would be. Like, God, I'm over it. I need to move on. I need you to move on or I need me to move on. One of us has to move on. Like, do whatever you've got to do to get me out of this situation, this predicament, this frustration, this roadblock, this unanswered prayer, this difficulty, this hardship, this this struggle. Like, yes, I trust you, but I don't like this situation and I'm over it and I can't hear you. Nobody else has ever been there? Frustrated. Waiting, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations, still clinging to Jesus because we know he's the best option. Just not hearing anything. So I get Zechariah saying, like, I I need to know, like, show me a sign. And and it's funny because the sign Zechariah gets that God will do this is not that his wife becomes pregnant. That was his action step. His sign was that he would not be able to talk. Like the sign itself that God was going to do something in his life made his life more difficult. Because sometimes being in the will of God doesn't look like everything working out just fine. Sometimes it looks like a little extra work and a little more time. Sometimes it looks like learning a new language with your hands when you used to be able to use your mouth. Sometimes following God makes things harder. So what do you do when God is silent? What's amazing is when she, when she has this child, or she becomes pregnant, uh, she becomes pregnant, and then and it's in verse 24, and then 25 it says this, how kind the Lord is, is what Elizabeth ex- exclaims. She, she says, God is just so good. God is kind. It's the kindness of God that draws people to repentance. It's not signs from heaven. 
That's the kindness of God. We believe in miracles, signs, and wonders. We believe in all that. But what draws people to God is the kindness of God. Have you ever stopped to think about how patient God has been with you? Have you ever stopped to not think just about your problems, but to think about how you've got blessings in your life, like God has actually provided so much in your life to be thankful for? Have you ever stopped to think that even in the moments when God is silent, his his kindness is still so present? And the difficult thing is this, like, like, There's a lot of people that just don't even know the kindness of God. They think life is hard, you pay taxes, and you die. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 19. It says, for for God was in Christ. This is the kindness of God. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Watch this. No longer counting people's sins against them. That's the kind of God you serve. Not a God that's walking around with with a notepad finding everything you did wrong. This is a God that doesn't want that. Not counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. What did he give us? He gave us this message that God is not walking around with a checklist of all the things you've done wrong. God is, he's made a way that he doesn't have to count any sins against anyone. That's good news. Then it says this, so we are Christ's ambassadors. That's what you and I are. We're ambassadors. We stand on behalf of God in our families, in our church, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in city council. We stand as ambassadors for God. It says God is making his appeal through us. Say that with me. Say, Say it like this. Say God is making his appeal through me. God doesn't make his appeal through me. He makes his appeal through you. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. What I'm saying is, God has a plan to show the world his kindness. And the the plan is to, to tell people he's not out to hold their sins against them. He's out to wash the sins away. But you are the ones who give the message. Not a preacher on a Sunday. He's kind. He's giving hope. And let me just say, like, there are a couple times a year when, when people will, will attend a church with you. There's, there's two times a year when, when somebody will pretty much always say yes to go to church. One is Easter. And one is Christmas. On Christmas, when you, when you invite someone to church, like, it's an easy ask. Like, come, my kids are singing in the church. Come, Grandma. Or come, neighbor, my grandkids are singing. Like, <clears throat> it's an easy ask. And the idea is get your friend or family that you are giving the appeal of God to inside the house. Like, I'm, I'm an okay Bible teacher. Our team is amazing at welcoming people and creating a great space for people. Like the building is amazing. Our our worship band is incredible. Our small groups are inviting and they will build friendships. 
But what I cannot do is I cannot go to your neighbor and your friend and your loved one and say, come back to God. You have to say that. If you say that, you can get them in their room and we can put them in a place that is designed to make that possible for them. But the responsibility is on you. And so I'm just going to challenge everyone in the room right now, and that's with this. I'm getting ready to close. Band, come. This Christmas, starting now, I want you to begin praying, God, who is it in my life that I'm supposed to invite back to God? Is it a girlfriend? Is it an old school buddy? Is it a, a working partner? Is it my husband that doesn't even come? Because here's what I want. This Christmas, I think it would just be so incredible if every single one of us just invited one person to come sit next to us during a Christmas Eve service. There are people that move from church to church. This valley, this valley has a lot of that. It's because we've got a lot of churches looking for the best church, the best worship, the best Sundays. Can I just tell you the secret that every pastor knows? The best Sunday you experience, it's not because the preaching was good. It's not because the worship was amazing and they played your style of music. The best Sunday you will ever be in is the one where you're sitting next to a friend, a loved one, a coworker. And at the end of the service, no matter how good or bad it was, when the preacher gives an altar call response for them to give their life to Jesus, and you see your neighbor lift up their hands that they want to pray a prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus, that's the best. And then you can hear, you're just listening, you're just listening. And you can hear, you can hear preachers like every head bowed and eye closed, and you're like, and you listen and you hear them declare that Jesus is the Lord of my life. And you're like, this is the best. Like, it was amazing. The preaching was incredible. The worship was so amazing. Like, I got to tell you, it wasn't that all that was amazing. It was that you had somebody next to you. So as a church, December 24th, let's invite those that God is calling into a space, a space where they can receive him. So back to my question. What do you do when God is silent? you stand with me? What do you do when God is silent? Do you give up on God? Do you get frustrated and walk away? What do you do? I can tell you what Zechariah did when God was silent. Zechariah said, I will be found in my time and place with God. When God is silent, I will have a time and a place. I will be in the temple worshiping God whether I hear him or not. Church, a time and place with God both corporately, like we have a time and a place every single week here corporately to worship God and we also expect everyone in the church to find a time and place in their day to meet with God. That's not for the times when you feel him and hear him. It's for those moments when you 
it's also for those moments when you don't feel him and you don't hear him. That healthy routine of I'm just going to keep my old commitments and just trust that even when I can't hear God, he's working on my behalf. So what does Zechariah do when he can't hear God? He worships him. At this time, I want to invite our prayer team down. Um, If they're here, if they can come on down. Maybe they're not here. There's one. There's some more. Look at that. There we go. Now we got a prayer team. And um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship God even when he's silent. And there's some of you in this room today that for you, um, what you, what you need is for someone else to pray with you, to trust God with you. If that's you and you came and you have a need, you need someone to pray with you, I want to invite you down to come receive that prayer. But I know also in this room, there, there, are, there are people who, you're just ready to give your life to Jesus. You're ready to make him the Lord of your life. If that's you, it's really simple. What we do is we repent we believe. Repent means we turn away from the things in our life that we think, do, and say that don't please God. And we trust Him. So if you're ready to draw close to God, let's do that right now. Let's turn away from the things in our life that hold us back from Him. And let's turn towards Him. Something like this. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things in my life that I know aren't pleasing you. I'm turning away from them now. I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for me. That he was buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. So right now, I'm placing all of my faith and all of my hope in Jesus Christ alone. Say these words, Jesus, be the Lord of my life, and I will follow you every day that I live. Come on, church family. We're going to worship, and when we worship, if you have a prayer need, I want you to come on down. Hey, I just want to say thank you again for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you want to learn more about Celebration Church, I'd encourage you to go to our website, www.thecelebration.church, to find out more. We love you guys, and let's continue to love God, love people, and change the world.